This is Darrell Lalliott, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 45. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, guys? We're back for another week, back for another installment, another episode of the Before the Millions podcast, podcast dedicated to lifestyle design through real estate before the millions. So on today's show, we are speaking to Mr. Thelonious C. Jones, real estate investor who specializes in Section 8 housing. And we haven't talked about Section 8 housing yet on this show. So I'm really, really excited to have Thelonious on and to shed some light into an arena that we quite frankly know little about. And you'd be surprised at how Section 8 housing really, really works and what Section 8 housing really, really is and how many other programs that are similar to Section 8 housing that people actually get confused for Section 8 housing. So we're going to show you exactly how to benefit from Section 8 housing, but also the pitfalls of Section 8 housing that you need to watch out for. It's a super fun-filled episode and I can't wait to get into it. You know, it's been a while since we've talked about books on the show and that's primarily because for the majority of this year, I've went back to read a lot of the books I read last year and in 2016, just to kind of go back to each of the books that I love so much and just sit with them and take notes and like really soak them in. Some of the books I've uh, I've been reading lately, or I've went back to read, Think and Grow Rich, which I actually never finished the first time around because like there's this like lull in the middle that's so boring. So I never actually finished that book, but this time around... I made it past the lull and I finished the book and the end is amazing, just like the beginning. So I went back to read Think and Grow Rich. I went back to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I went back to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad Guide to Investing. Went back to read... Oh, actually, that was my first time reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad Guide to Investing. I went back to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad Cashflow Quadrant. Went back to read Richest Man in Babylon. The list goes on. Some of the newer books I've read are Relentless by Tim Grover, who is uh, or who was Michael Jordan's coach, trainer, something of the sort. But it's an amazing book about how to be relentless and uh, definitely highly recommended. I read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. As you guys know, that's the founder of Nike. That's another, another great book. And next up on my book list, so kind of what I'm looking at for the rest of the month is The Art of War or The War of Art. I don't know. Those books get me confused whenever... Anyways, one of those books I'm going to end up reading before the end of the month, Do the Work, is also another book that I plan on reading before the end of the month. So those are the two books uh, currently on my book list. 
And if you guys have any recommendations, suggestions, let me know or post it in our group, Passive Cashflow Lifestyle. And the way to get to our group, guys, is www.beforethemillions.com slash group. Again, this group is where we all come to congregate. So this Thursday, we're going to do a Q&A. And this Q&A is going to get you guys started down the path of real estate investing. It's going to show you the very first step that you need to become a real estate investor. And we're going to be able to talk to some lenders. We're going to be able to hash out some of you guys' questions as far as how to get your pre-approval, what kind of credit score you need, and what type of investment strategy bodes well for your exact situation. So if you're looking to get into real estate investing and you know you have questions about the lending process, definitely join this Thursday's Q&A and every single Thursday's Q&A. And you can do that by being a part of our group at beforethemillions.com slash group. That's beforethemillions.com slash group. Lastly, we are hiring. Yes, our team is expanding and we are looking for a community manager, an administrative manager, somebody great with social media, somebody great with copywriting, somebody great with writing in general. You don't even have to be a great copywriter. I can show you how to do that. But yeah, so I'm looking for somebody who can grow with the company and who is a people person and who will and loves to put people first, who loves being fulfilled by helping others. That's kind of my criteria. I know it's not the typical criteria, but I think that we can teach the technical aspect of things. I just want somebody who's willing to learn, who's motivated, who pays attention to detail. That's crucial. If you're that person, reach out to us. Visit beforethemillions.com slash hire, H-I-R-E. That's beforethemillions.com slash hire and apply today. We have full-time positions opened up. So anyways, guys, let's get to the show. DeRay's tip of the week. Okay, so the tip of the week for this week, guys, is a quick, short, nice, easy one. And it goes like this. You cannot find deals in today's market. It's impossible. You can't stumble upon a deal. There's no way that you're going to pick up a deal just by happenstance. So stop looking for deals, guys. It's not going to happen, especially not in 2018. Stop looking for deals. I know it sounds crazy, but just stop. There's no deals to be found. What you should do is you should create opportunity. You should create deals. You should solve problems. Dre, what do you mean? Every single property out there whether for sale, on market, off market, the owner selling it, the realtors putting it up, every single property out there is a potential deal. Every single one, even the ones that, that have been on the MLS for months and years, every single property is a potential deal. Now, emphasis on potential. What makes a deal is you having the ability to solve a problem. Is you able to get in on something less than the value of what it's worth, or maybe at the value of what it's worth, and you accentuating the value of what it's worth to meet the criteria of the surrounding properties. But what you're in essence doing is you're creating opportunity. You're creating deals. If there are homeowners who just got divorced and they're looking to sell their property, they have a need. They have a problem. If they just bought the house and they're super over leveraged, So let's just say they bought the house for $200,000 and the loan on the property is $195, leaving barely no room for equity. If they were to hire a realtor, they would have to come out of pocket to pay that realtor only to take a loss on the property. So if you can get in there and have them bypass the realtor, solve their problem because they can't sell their house without taking the loss. 
If you're hiring a realtor, you're going to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket because there's no equity in the home for you to even make any cash off of, to even pay the realtor, much less paying yourself. That is such a common problem, more common than you guys know. These are the types of things I teach my clients to look for. We're looking to solve problems. If you can solve that homeowner's problem, not only would you be creating wealth for yourself, you'd get a lot of fulfillment out of doing that because you're helping somebody out of a situation that otherwise they wouldn't be able to figure out or they'd lose tons of money. But if you're creative, if you're a real estate investor and you know how to help the people around you, you know how to help these sellers, you're going to do well. So I don't want you guys going around expecting to find deals. No, you have to get creative. You have to actually create the deal. You have to uncover the seller's problem. Another way to create a deal is maybe you're not dealing with a distressed seller. Maybe you're not dealing with somebody who's about to get divorced or somebody who's about to get foreclosed on. Maybe you're dealing with a guy who lives out of state and he just inherited a property from his grandparents who passed away. He has no idea what to do with this. His focus is on something totally different. He's an art major. This is a headache for him. He's not a real estate investor. This is not what he signed up for. You can solve that problem. There's so many scenarios out there, guys. There's so many distressed sellers looking, hoping somebody comes along to solve their problem. Are you going to be that person? Stop trying to find deals and go out there and create opportunity. Go out there and talk to people. Go out there and solve problems. That's the tip of the week for this week, guys. And now your feature presentation. Today we have on the show... Uh, Mr. Thelonious C. Jones. Theo, how's it going? It's, it's no complaints on this end. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate what you're doing. It's just an honor. Definitely, definitely. I'm excited and I appreciate the thanks. And I can't wait to get into your story, Theo. You're currently speaking to us from Atlanta, Georgia right now. And just kind of giving the listeners a brief overview of what you do. And we'll take it back in the time machine here in a minute. But kind of present day, what are you currently involved in? What's your area of expertise? What do you do? Okay, my area of expertise, if I had to choose one, it's really contracting side. The contracting, I understand contracting and residential maintenance to a T, which has helped me, you know, do renovations and be successful in developments. I would say number two is property management. I'm a very psychological person, so I get deep into like, you know, what is this call really about? Is it really about the plumbing or, you know, so I really, and I try to cultivate a better environment for my residents. I try to understand what they really need. So I would say first is my experience in contracting and then years of uh, owning, operating rental property. I've learned a lot. And in my prime, when I own a big portfolio, I divested most of that now just due to a um, partnership situation. 80% of that portfolio was on Atlanta Housing Authority program, also known as Section 8. So I have a lot of experience um, with Section 8. And I like to call them, I like to say my our experience is having high-end Section 8 rentals. So I think that was one of my expertise is how do you bring a higher quality to something that's been deemed kind of low quality. You know, DeRay, you've seen the videos on YouTube. I don't have to really go on, but that's really my two or three areas of expertise in real estate investing, though I I still have a broader spectrum of other different areas in real estate. I love that. And tempted to dive into the whole construction background, the whole construction area. But I think that we're more interested in the Section 8 housing and the high-end Section 8 housing. So that may be our area of focus for today. But let's take it back. Let's take it back. Let's take it back to Theo's younger days before you even became an entrepreneur. Who was younger, Theo? What were you doing back then? What was your mindset before you had this portfolio of how many units was it now? It was... I had over 25, 10. I saw that count. Yeah, I saw that count (laughs) after a certain time. And that was just... Personal. I was still doing 
managing on the side, but I'm just a young boy from East Oakland, man. Really, really, you know what I mean? I, that's what I think about when I grow up. I went to, I went to public school except for the last three years of my life. I went to school. I was middle school. I was coached. By, I went to the same middle school as Gary Payton, coached by his coach. High school, I went to high school with Marshawn Lynch. Fast shout out to Beast Mode. Then I got transferred to a private school. My mother wanted me to go to private school. And I'm looking all over Facebook now. I went to um, school with Ryan Cooper, who just put out Black Panther. So it's good to see, you know, what's happening. But at the age of, man, 13, no, the age of 14, I started my first job on my birthday. And I was working in a place called the Java House, which was owned by Dwayne Wiggins of Tony, Tony Tone. It's our anniversary. All them songs. The song Meek Mill just sampled all those songs. Those guys, I worked in there. And it was funny growing up because E-40 would call up. Hey, man, what's up? You know what I mean? So, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So it was, it was unique being young doing that. And then on top of that, you're right, let me tell you this. I was DJing. I DJed at my middle school dinner dance and got paid. Okay. So I was DJing at the Java House every week. Then from 15, 15 years old, a promoter saw me in there. 15, I'm DJing at 21-year-old club. 16, anybody that's from the Bay Area, my motion, who I believe still DJs on the radio, I was DJing, not in the same room as him in the club at 16, but I was in the same venue. So, I mean, that's the stuff I was doing. I was DJing, I was making, you know, anywhere from three to $2,000 a weekend DJing. Around 17, I was DJing in clubs every weekend in Frisco, 21-year-old club. So the entrepreneurship started young. Went to music school in Orlando for two years, got a degree there, two degrees. Then I moved to Atlanta in 2007 and just saw the opportunity. So that's pretty much my story, my background in a nutshell. I love that. It sounds like you were an entrepreneur from the get-go, from inception. That's amazing. So what prompted, what sparked the move to Atlanta? Why'd you move to Atlanta? Initially, it was for music because I, I got my degree. I got my associate's degree in an audio engineer, audio recorder. So I said, let me move, of course, to the mecca of music and do music. But when I moved here, it's a lot of opportunity. It's just one thing for me. I was working very hard for what I had. And in that industry, there's a lot of uh, expectation to work free. And I, that just wasn't my expectation at that point. Because I'm like, I'm working 60 hours to barely pay the bills. It's no way in the world I'm going to work more for free. Yeah. So I kind of just said... Let me just focus on what I got to do. And then I started just driving around, the, no, lack of a better word, I just started driving around the ghettos of Atlanta. And I'm just, when you grew up in East Oakland, California, you grew up in the hood. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? That's the hood. And my, in the summer, my mother used to send me to South Jamaica in, in the projects. My grandmother lived in the projects for 60 years. So I'm going from coast to coast. So you see different hoods. But when you come to Atlanta and you see a whole, a very lack of resource environment with all abandoned houses, like, it's one thing to be in East Oakland, but there ain't no whole bunch of abandoned houses. Like, it, it'll be the hood, but every, people live in there. So to see a whole block boarded up, I was just like, bro, this is insane. So that just, like, it sparked something in me. And within two years of me buying my, two years of me moving here in 07, I bought my first rental property at the age of 22. So that's just kind of how it, how it came to fruition, kind of. That's crazy. So, so you originally moved out to Atlanta for music, actually. Yeah. That, was, that was your initial passion. And that's it. As soon as you got out to Atlanta, you started driving around and you saw that there was a need. You saw, mm -hmm. you know, neighborhoods, just the streets, just, you know, just 
tons of houses that are boarded up. And he was like, what is this? And this was in 2007 and you had no prior real estate background before that. So what made you think that you were the person to be able to get out there and make something happen? What gave you the the confidence to want to go do that? And then how did you get the education to start investing in real estate? I'm writing that down because I'm not, that's like a twofold question. Because <laughs> I want I want to make sure I answer right. Because I let me back up. I'm, I, I didn't include. Or I didn't. Include oh no some. worries. That's that's my job. <laughs> okay. No worries. So growing up, my parents, 2001. I was born in 87. So my parents, 2000, 2001. We had an, uh, another sister in 90 and 94. So you know, by you know 90, she getting we all getting bigger. So we, they, they had to pop the house up. See what I'm saying? So we did an audition on the house, on the back, and they studio apartment up top so they was getting cash flow so i'm like okay i see this and then in about 99 or 2001 my father bought a building on telegraph avenue in oakland if you know people in oakland they know that's where first fridays is i actually i used to watch the mac a lot in um high school it's actually uh college is featured in two scenes in the mac also he sold it since then so growing up he had that multi-family uh, commercial on the bottom which is now a coffee shop and four units on the top I used to, to work at the Java house. And then on the weekend, I used to work there sweeping up. So I was exposed, you know, dibbled and dabbled in it a little bit. Not like, hey, man, this is everything. But I, that's why I started learning the maintenance and the construction and repairs. That's where it started coming from. So yeah. then I moved to Atlanta. How did I educate myself on it? Did you even educate yourself? Because I just interviewed somebody literally three days ago. And what I often find, Theo, is most people, they don't ever get started because they want to know everything before they get started. Exactly. And a lot of us, I mean, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in April of 2016, and I bought my first property less than 30 days later because I chose to decide that if I didn't buy that property, if I didn't start, then I wasn't ever going to start because education, you know, I call it analysis paralysis. You, you want to, the way we're structured, the way we're wired, we want to know as much as we can about a particular subject before we mm-hmm. jump in. And mm-hmm. if you don't know, especially the way I'm wired, and if I don't know every single little thing about it, then I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to delay. I'm going to put other things ahead of it. But yeah. if I just jump right in and risk making mistakes and know that those mistakes are, are what's going to define me, what, what's going to better me, then I think that that's a much better path than kind of sitting on the fence. So I had a, a guest the other day who literally knew nothing about real estate when he got into real estate, but mm-hmm. he had that mentality mentality, knowing that no matter what, I'm going to figure it out. So he literally just jumped right in, made tons of mistakes. And because of those mistakes, he's a multimillionaire this day. So when it, when it comes to the education piece, it's very, 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 very important, but it's much more important to get started. So, I mean, when it comes to education, that's something that you can either pick up on, along the way. That's something that you may already know. So I was just, I was just curious as to your case. My case, it's pretty much same to you. Uh, 2000, I moved here in two, September 2000, driving around in my hoopty. I hear the Robert Kiyosaki thing in December 2007. Broke his, I'm making $500 a week. I go there for the free thing. They upsell me to the 500 thing. I'm making $500 a week. The thing called 500. <laughs> so just like you, I'm just like, dude, I ain't got time to think, call mama, uh, get all this. It's no time for that. Six months I would have purchased my first property in 2008, but the whole collapse happened. So the bank, you know, they kind of redlined me out of a deal. Yeah. So then I got my next, I got the property without, within like 18 months of me going to that. It would have been much sooner, but you know, it was just, it was so hard to get things done at that point. But I'm just like you, it's just get it. I got some of the information and we're going to have to, like Eric Thomas says, we just have to fail forward and just figure it all out. Exactly. Yeah. So, 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 do you remember the details of that first initial property and how you felt and how you got it? 
Oh yeah, man. That's that thing, man. Yeah, man. I lived in there. For, I lived in there for four years. I went through a lot. I went through a lot there. So yeah. Uh-huh. Man, let's let's dive into it. Let's talk. Yeah. About it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I purchased that property five thousand dollars down. It was sixty five hundred dollar purchase price. I did a two. What is it? A two hundred three B loan when they do three K. Exactly. Yep. Another ten grand. So my whole loan was seventy five thousand. It was a duplex in Southwest and in the hood, man. Oakland City. Uh, Little Baby, 21 Savage, Pee Wee Long, all of them shoot videos down there. All of them. Yeah. I was just looking at a video the other day. I mean, this little baby, like right around the corner. So that's out <laughs> of all of them, too. And much love and respect to all them. Um, I bought a duplex there, four bedroom, two and a half bath on each side. Oh, wow. Mirror wow. duplex built in 2003. And I was renting out for four years. I lived there, collected rent. And uh, collected rent one side, lived on the other side, making a little cash flow every month. Then I moved out and I was making like $1,700 a month, paying a $700 mortgage. And then I, I bought it, like I said, $7,500, sold it for $150. I would have sold it for $160. The appraisal came back extremely low in 2015, so six years later. So I collected about six years, I collected about $75,000 in rent. And then, uh, you know, whatever I did, walked away with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So That's, that's an amazing first yeah. Day, Oh, yeah. That got you hooked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me mention this, too. Right? And then, on top of that, the government gave you the $8,000 back then. So, the, I mean, it was $5,000 down, and I got $8,000 back on my tax credit. So, it was, yeah, it was a blessing, man. It was a wow. blessing. Yeah, wow. so. Wow. Yeah, and then from there, it just, it's like, okay, we got to go. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's get into some of that. Let's talk about, yeah. you know, what you did from there. And I definitely love the whole construction side of things, but let's, mm-hmm. let's focus on the section eight side of things. So was this section eight housing? No, unfortunately this neighborhood was so bad. Section eight wouldn't rent there even up until 2014. Oh wow. Section eight in Atlanta is very, they don't like a whole bunch of abandoned houses and all that. So I'm telling you, this is one of the roughest I've had. I saw three people get shot in front of my house and now it's just me being in the house. Okay. So it's just like, it's rough. It's just rough, man. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? So it's just Section 8 wouldn't have no parts of that, right? That area right there. But all my other properties were in that same neighborhood. Every property I had was in the same zip code. That was really part of my strategy going in, doing Section 8 housing and just fixing up the community because I saw there was a, a problem with houses. You know what I mean? Who, no one benefits. Okay. The homeowners don't benefit. The city doesn't benefit. They don't collect tax, water, tra- they don't collect anything. So I'm like, how do I go in and rejuvenate something there? And basically, that was it. I said, I want to stick in one zip code. What happened was, this is what happened. I mean, and this is a key tip for most people. Atlanta Section 8 Housing Authority, they have a mandatory landlord uh, briefing you have to go to before you can rent Section 8. And I was there and this guy was all, man, talking all loud, man. I may seem like I'm very social, but I'm very quiet, you know, especially in the big environment. So he, oh man, yeah, man, I got all these properties. Yeah, man, I got them all over, blah, 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 blah. Bro, that's cool, bro. I'm, I'm here for Section 8, man. I'm just here to learn, bro. I mean, you, you do your thing. You know, I love. Then he's like, well, what's your properties? I said, bro, all my properties, like, I, I, I can ride my bike to all of them within 20 minutes. Then he just looked at me like, man, dog, I got to drive all the way here to this kind and I, you know what I mean? So I, it, that hit me. Like, dude, you, you're talking all this stuff. Then when I say my little bit, which wasn't enough, it's like he had this epiphany. And I was like, keep doing what you're doing. So that's what was my thing was to have one. And since a lot of people don't like to talk about this, I wanted to control the area for the good. I wanted to buy all that. One street, we have four properties. Another block, we had one block, we have four properties. One street, we had three properties. I wanted to control it. 
I love that. If I buy this house over here and this other house is abandoned across the street, that's affecting my rent. It's affecting this. Your lawn's not mowed. Now I can't rent my house. There's plenty. I've had people two years ago, I was trying to sell a house. I hate to keep going on and on, but this is, this is what I'm we really about at the core UDI group. It's just really about serving under resource environments. That's really what it's about. AKA serving the ghetto, the hood, inner cities. That's really what it is. A couple years ago, I was selling a house. A house across the street was so bad. I tried to buy it for years, but it was one of the phantom companies. I had my lawnmower go clean it up. A lady ran down my lawnmower to get his number, to get me, to call me. And then she's calling me to thank me saying, hey man, why don't you clean up your house? I said, baby girl, that's not my house. I'm cleaning up the house because I want the block to look good. I don't know who Mm -hmm. owns the house. And she was just like, damn, thank you. I'm just like, no, don't thank me. It's just, this is what needs to be done. And you know, it's not... I don't really look at it as a thank you thing. I feel like it's really just an obligation. Somebody's going to have to do this. And obviously yeah. the city's not. So yeah. that was just our underlying goal going in. How do we take something that needs to be revived and give it to someone on a program that helps stabilize uh, the community? It's all about a stabilization. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's kind of my experience and how I got into it. Sorry to go kind of on. No, and no, that's amazing. I love that story. And you know, really quick before I kind of ask you some of the questions that I want to ask you based on that story, let's define for our audience. What is Section 8 housing? Okay, let's define that. That Section 8 housing is housing that is subsidized by your local city or county government. So basically, and that a lot of people get this confused. A lot of people, they don't understand the system. That's why stop looking at the videos. Go get with someone. If you're, if you're doing coaching and you're investing with the right, hey, get with him. He'll, he'll mentor you. But at the end of the day, you got to go to the source if you don't know. You need to call your local housing authority. Stop talking to all these people that don't know. Because basically, a lot of people pay rent on Section 8, at least in my experience. They may not pay all of it, but they pay a little of amount. The government's not, not just wiring you money every month. There's standards that the government have. They have inspections before they move in. Like I said, one neighborhood, they, they have an inspection in Atlanta of the exterior of the whole block, the certain radius of the house. They won't even come in. Now, the one guy, he, he drove before they even come in the house. He just came to the door. Hey, bro, this don't pass, bro. Holla. You know what I mean? Like it, the, the neighborhood doesn't pass. So you got to understand, you got to make sure you understand everything within that to pass the inspection. And then in most Section 8 authorities, they have uh, housing authorities. They have an annual inspection of the property just to make sure it's up to code, make sure it's, you know, livable, healthy, inhabitable, and everything's working. So that's basically what it is. And you're being, a portion of your rent's being paid through to the government, paid to you by the government every month. And past Section 8, a lot of people don't know, there's tons of other programs like Section 8. People, we just get so stuck on all the same things. So there's other programs out there where you you may be competing with a whole bunch of people and there may be a state housing program that subsidizes the rent. So there's a ton of other programs out here that serve under-resourced invi- uh, communities and people. So I just think you, if you want to look into that and you want to serve those people and serve them right and not, please don't have the mentality, I just get a check from the government every month. I just find that to be just so demeaning for me. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, but that, if you have that mentality, I just don't think it's for you. But that's basically what it is. Theo, you have the housing authority. or So let's say, I mean, just kind of correct me as I go through this process. Yeah. You, have, you buy a property, mm-hmm. uh, you buy an investment property, you fix it up, mm-hmm. get it rent ready. And then you call the housing authority and they come by and they look at the area, they look at the property. And if they approve it, 
you're able to get tenants in there and the government pays for a portion, if not all of their rent. Is there, am I missing anything here? Yes, correct. But unfortunately, you're correct. And it may work like that in some authorities, but unfortunately in Atlanta, you have to put in the, you have to find the tenant first, put in the application before they even come out. I think now, I think now I don't have any more properties here in on section eight in Atlanta, but I think now they will come out. I know they come out on multifamily, but if you have a big multifamily, not a duplex, like commercial, they'll come out and assess the commercial property. But when I was doing it, no, unfortunately you had to put in that market, put in the application, find the tenant, then, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. Get the tenant, put in an application with Section 8, then they would come out and then let you know. So unfortunately, sometimes I'd waste two or three weeks trying to figure out if that's, so it's very frustrating, but that's the ups and downs of investing. Some Section 8 authorities, some housing authorities probably do operate like that. So it's just about really figuring out what the operation of each, but there is some that will come out prior to, so you don't have to go through the process I just explained. Got it. So from the tenant point of view, you know, you're finding these tenants. Are these, is it a particular type of tenant or is it any tenant? And it's the section eight, the subsidized rent just comes from, I mean, the subsidized, the government paying that, that subsidy comes from the, the property that they evaluated, or does it have to do with the tenant as well? Does the tenant have to make a certain amount? Like what are the restrictions? Does the tenant apply for section eight or is this all through the landlord? How does it work on the tenant end? Okay. In the city of Atlanta, it works. The resident well, at least for me, the resident already needs to have their voucher from Atlanta Housing Authority to apply for our property. Got you it. cannot not have your voucher. Yeah, yes, you have to have. And our properties were open to everybody. I'm just saying you cannot put in an application with us. if You can't say you section eight. It's like you can't drive me in your Uber if you don't have your license. You know what I mean? But once you have your license, you can drive me. So you have to get your license, which is your voucher from Section 8, and that basically, and I forget how it works, even though I should, that voucher tells the resident, based on how many kids they have, how many bedrooms of a house they can rent. It's all based on bedrooms. So then, bam, okay, they rent a two-bedroom house. The person has a two-bedroom voucher. So, bam, you, you get the house. And from there, the rent thing, it gets a little complex. I'm trying to figure out the most easiest way I can explain it. Yeah, no, you could just keep it really high level. High level. Yeah. We want to have like a 30 foot view. So we understand like, you know, the listeners are walking away from this conversation. They have a basic understanding of what section eight is. Exactly. So basically they'll put in their thing, two bedroom, two bedroom, it matches up. They come do the inspection and this is how Atlanta works. Then after they do an inspection, it passes. Then they give you the rent determination and they'll say, Hey, we'll pay you X amount based off. They'll ask you how much you want. Then they'll say, based off our rent determination, we either pay you that or we won't. Then you have a time, you have a chance to submit to try to get the rent up to what it is. And then once that's solidified, they'll send you a letter saying, hey, okay, the rent's 900, the tenant pays 300, we pay 600. And it's your responsibility to collect the rent from the tenant or we pay 900. Some of the rent, they pay the tenant's rent and they pay the rent tenant some, uh, they give an allowance for utilities. So it's all the pace dependent on that person's income, how they pay and how much they pay their disability or whatever they're on. You know, a lot of people we dealt with were more elderly people on disability. So that's it in a nutshell. In your experience, have you found that section eight is more advantageous as far as the amount of rents that you can collect or less advantageous as opposed to just owning a regular investment property and rent it out to a, a normal tenant? All about the sign. It's about the money, about the money. Yeah, all about the same. I think 
you can try to, you know, and I'm my, see my environment is you, you can try to charge a little more, but you know, I'm not that one type of person that pushes the line too much. I just want a reasonable rent for a long period of time. So me, I never try to push too many limits, but I've never had too much pushback with section eight with price. Got it. Okay. So let's get back into your story a little bit more. Theo. This is all, all fascinating stuff. Yeah. So you found, you found these properties and you started, you started collecting properties around this one little circumference, one little area and that allowed you to have the expertise to know exactly what you should be purchasing property for, what you should be renting it for. Because I mean, this was your area. This is where you invested in, you know, you, you could ride your bike to all your properties. So you yeah. had the most expertise in the area and you found that the area was so run down that there was no way that you would be able to get approved for section eight. So you took it upon yourself to beautify the area, to go to some of these other properties and, and make sure that, you know, they were doing some upkeep. That's amazing. And you were looking, you know, you were forward looking, you were looking at the vision, you were looking at, you know, the cost of not doing that, you know, for, for your business and not only for your business, for the neighborhood in itself. So you've been able to go in these neighborhoods and actually beautify these neighborhoods and make these neighborhoods, you know, have these neighborhoods looking better than, than when you first got there, which I think is amazing. A lot of, a lot of investors not even thinking about that or, or doing that. You like, like you said, it's all about the money. So you're actually going in and fixing up, you know, bad neighborhoods. And let's talk to a listener who's looking to maybe get into real estate and they're considering, you know, section eight, what, what are some of the benefits maybe of, of going to section eight or going to some of these areas that maybe uh, most real estate investors would shy away from, because I think that when you're able to find problems that most people don't want to deal with, that's where you find success. That's where you find fulfillment. That's where you find the gold. So maybe let's talk to uh, some of the listeners who are looking to get into section eight or even housing. That's not even approved by section eight because it's so run down. How do they go about doing that? And how can they have the confidence to, to kind of go in and feel like they're going to do a good job? Because I mean, you said it yourself that it's a bad neighborhood. You've seen people get shot. So how are you able to handle all that mentally, you know, knowing that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that you were going to be able to be okay and that your business was going to be profitable? At the end of the day, I just, you know, for me, it's just, this is my people, man. And like, you know, I just, I'm here. You, when you're born and raised in an environment, you travel 2,000 miles every summer to go to the next environment. That's it. It becomes a part of your blood. So it comes to be caught up, becomes a part of you. So it's just, man, you, you know, and then I was living there. You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't like I bought the property and it, you know, it's no big deal. Everybody has to do what's right for them. I don't have kids. I'm not married. So like some of the perspective I'm giving people is not going to apply to everyone. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying me being on being that environment, it helped me to understand it more. I'm like studying it day in and day out. You know what I mean? And I, I just give the, the advice I would give to people because it's going to get rough. You just got to make sure like you have something that's uh, some underlying thing that's going to push you when it gets rough because you're going you're gonna to lose money. You're going to bump your head. Things are going to happen. But you just got to you just got to push forward because at the end it's better. You know what I mean? I've had to go through two or three tenants, uh, two or three evictions of tenants to get the right tenant that stays in there forever. You know what I mean? So it's just finding there's good people everywhere. And I think a lot of uh, media and, and our society says, you know, Section 8 low income is I've had the same amount of headaches, non-Section 8, Section 8, same amount, equal, probably more headaches, not Section 8, to be honest with you. But that's just my personal experience. But I just feel like you just have to have, I guess, like Eric Thomas said, you just have to have a why. I don't know how else to put that. simple to put that. You just got to have an underlying reason because it's going to get rough at some time and you, you can't stop. Well, at least you shouldn't stop when you put it like that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So 
So Theo, let's talk about a pivotal moment in your life. Let's talk about your worst entrepreneurial moment to date. Let's take it back to that time. Let's take it back to that exact day and what happened in your life that, you know, maybe you learned a lesson that you can, you know, project and portray onto the listeners that we can take away something valuable from. What was your worst entrepreneurial moment to date and how did you get out of that? To be 100% honest, I'm going through my worst entrepreneurial thing right now. But uh, we could, when we meet up, well, I'm going to see, I'm going to guarantee you, I'm going to see you before the years. Are, I'll tell you about that. You can figure out what we want to put in and what we want to put out. But before that, to make it uh, simple and easy, one of the most awakening moments for me is I had, I had all those properties, 15, 20 properties, units. Hired a property manager to take on all the properties. Mind you, I have an investor. You know, I got other people I got to, you know, I answer to, blah, blah, blah. And he just started fumbling, 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 fumbling. It's just too many issues. You know, I'm vouching for the guy. I'm vouching for him, trying to, you know, dealing with the investor, trying to mediate and all that. And it just didn't last. I think it lasts like maybe eight months. Wow. This was like, it ended, I think, 2000. I think this 2014 it ended. And I was livid, man. I was completely livid. I was pissed because honestly, I was managing all the properties myself. I was trying to throw this on someone else so I could grow the business even further. And I just felt like, man, I trusted you, man. I doubled this guy's business. You know what I mean? Small company, I doubled his bit. And it just was like, bro, you know what I mean? And you just kind of like, I watched it somewhere. Some people unfortunately lie and they don't really know they're lying. So there's a lot of things I learned just about people, relationship, business, getting in the business. But basically after that, I was livid. I fired him. I brought all my property management back in the house. A lot of work, a lot of work, good, you know, giving it out, sending all your rent to someone else and don't point it out, then snatching it back eight months. That's a lot of work. So, and the whole time I'm firing him, this is what happened. I'm so pissed at this dude, man. And this is why you guys got to really, and this has happened to me several times. You really got to, you really got to transfer the energy, man. You really got to transfer the energy. I'm so pissed at the dude. I write him email like, dude, just like, pretty much like, like he's still pissed. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am because, because I know people that still go through this, you know what I mean? And it, but I'm happy though, bro. I'm happy. I seem like I'm pissed, but I'm really happy at the end of the day because, you know, I emailed him. And I'm really more pissed at me, DeRay. That's what it, that's really what I'm about yeah. to say. I emailed him telling him everything I didn't like about him. Like, he was finna fix it. Like, I'm gonna email him. I fired you. I emailed, now you finna fix my shit. Like, you know, excuse my language. But yeah. it's just, it's, it was irresponsible to me. And I looked yeah. at the email. I'm like, bro, you need to look at that email, bro. And everything you don't like about him, bro, you need to make sure don't never happen in your management system again, bro. Ever again. Because he ain't gonna fix your problems, bro. You feel me? So that was a very pivotal moment because I was pissed, but I was like, man, something so good came out of that. And I wrote a book, even though I really haven't published that book yet. Um, it's kind of under, uh, still on ebook, but I wrote a book called The Landlord Blueprint, which has all the philosophies and all the systems on how I operated my business. Because I didn't mention this either. I worked at a Fortune 500 property management company for about six to eight months. And this all happened while I was there. So I'm working nine to five every day. And then all this happening, you know, I'm dealing with this after work. You know what I mean? So I had to create a system. And I know some of your, your listeners, they're working every day. They're in corporate and they're like, man, like I want the property, but like, dude, I don't, you know, how do I do it? And that's what I, I was in that same position. So I created a system where it kind of just flowed around me. So I could just deal with it in that hour after work or before work or at lunch and everything still flowed. And it seemed like a, a big, this big corporation was here and it really was nothing. 
So that, it helped me so much. Very pivotal moment in me learning, taking responsibility, and just not stopping. Very pivotal moment. I'm very happy for that individual, actually. I know I'll see him one day. I'll probably hug him, man. He probably won't know why. So take us to the conversation with that investor. Mm-hmm. You had an investor that you, not, mm-hmm. not, it wasn't only you that, you know, this, this property mm-hmm. manager had to answer to. Take us to the conversation with that investor to where you decided enough is enough. I need to fire this property manager. Everything's, you know, everything's hitting the fan and I, we can't do this anymore. We need to move in a different direction. Take us to that conversation and, and what you were feeling and kind of what you did next. Like, did you hire another property manager? Did you start managing it yourself? I mean, you worked for a property management company. What was going on? Well, basically, uh, I mean, the and do you still have that relationship with that with that investor? Did you were you able to hold keep that intact to where he? Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It stayed intact. It stayed intact after that. It's not. It's a little rocky right now, but I'll I'll be up there in the summer. I'll, I'll deal with that then. But basically, it was there. It wasn't a conversation I wanted to have. And at one at one time when it was rocky, he actually came down because he was coming down like once a month or once a quarter at that, that point. And like he came down and we all met, and it just. See, this was the problem. He never wanted to go with the manager anyway. And I was like, bro, we got to go with the manager because I can't do this, do that. You know, I can't do it all, man. Like, I'm, it just can't happen. So, yeah, it was a not, wasn't a good conversation. He was like, man, you know, kind of not I, I told you so, but kind of, you know what I mean? And that's what kind of made the situation even more worse. You know what I mean? Because it's like, man, I got I to gotta face him. I got to face myself. I got to face... Uh, you know, my pops, you know what I mean? Even though he, he's in it too, but it's all, you know, I still have to answer to all these people. And I, I had to face, my tennis wasn't happy either. I was getting the place for my tennis too. So I had to face them too. Like, they like, well, what the hell happened? Like who, all I kept hearing was, oh man, well, John, oh my dad, John, I can't. And I'm like, well, shit, man, this is, you know, it just was annoying. You know what I mean? So I just made a vow to myself. I said, Theo, you could just have to make sure this never happens again. You know what I mean? So just moving forward, I managed my, system basically where I can manage my, I created a a system for my management. And yes, after that, I managed my properties, but then I created a system to where I could, and this is what I did. I brought people in because my biggest thing was the biggest thing was the money, man. Like you hire a property manager, they start collecting all the money. You see what I'm saying? I'm collecting all my money. Now they collecting all my money. See what I'm saying? Then I'm getting my money all late. I didn't. I don't. I don't like that. I'm sorry. It's all good. That's just the way it has to go, though. At sometimes, that's that's the way it's set up. So you have to switch that over. That was like a lot of work because you got to notify all your residents. Now you got to pay here, pay there. So in an effort not to have to do that, because I did want a manager, but I didn't want to have to deal with that headache, and I wanted an easy replaceable system. I created a system where I could just hire someone in house as a property manager, then I could fire them if they didn't work out. And then people, the the phone number's still the same. Everything's still, it's a replaceable. You know what I mean? You call T-Mobile, you don't speak to the same person every day, but it's like, I still got the mission accomplished. So that's what what I did. And then there is times where I did hire third property managers. I kept some in-house, some third party, did a mixture of both. So I I did, over the years, I did a little more because I needed more time to, um, you know, do other ventures. So if that kind of makes sense. So, but I've always managed a little bit thereafter since that experience, my property is a portion. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I love that. You know, I'm glad we were able to pull that out because it's crazy. And thank you for being so real and sharing that story because mm-hmm. I mean, yes, things really did hit the fan for you. It sounds like you were being bombarded from every single angle and 
it's funny because you almost wouldn't have been successful. You almost wouldn't have created a system if you didn't have that problem. If he was great from the get-go, you would have never learned all the things that you learned by creating your systems, even knowing that you needed interchangeable parts just in case something didn't work out. You could just plug a new part right in there into your system and everything would still keep going. So I think that that learning experience was pivotal, was amazing, was, you know, was what exactly you needed for your growth. So, you know, I love taking it to your worst entrepreneurial moment today because there's always some gold to be able to pull out from that. And that was, that was truly gold. So, you know, when it comes to having your investment properties and you do want it managed by a third party so it can be passive income, you know, you have to have the right systems in place. You can't just, you know, go out on a limb and think that it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be all good. As we can see from your experience, and again, thank you for sharing that. As we can see from your experience, hopefully we can learn and take away from that and know that, you know, let's go into this, you know, systematically. Let's try to build systems. Let's try to build processes so that if anything does hit the fan, we're able to quickly, you know, change those parts out. So Theo, amazing stuff. You know, rounding out this segment of the show, is there anything in the realm of property management, in the realm of Section 8 housing or even a lower class of housing? Because Section 8 is what, like Class D, Class C, Class D housing? Class C, yeah, Class C, that Class D, depending on... I mean, you can get some Class B. You know, some apartment complexes are. So it just, it just depends on the owner and the management. But yeah, I, I, something, usually a Class C, I would say closer to D at times. I see you, D. I've, yeah. I've actually seen Section 8 in Class A housing before. Is that common? Yeah, that, I think that's becoming, um, me, that's one of my dreams, man. You know, really? build a new development and have everybody live there. High class, Section 8, low. I think that's a problem with the inner city. People always running from it. And I think that's a problem. And that's things I'm looking at in the future. You know, when I want to build it, I think it, it should all be one, man. I would live in a, a penthouse with, with all my people in it. You know what I mean? So I think at times we run for it. And why, that's, it's, if it's a new building, it's a class A building. Yeah. So, and then they're building a lot of affordable housing here in Atlanta now in the, in the inner city. And I'm pretty sure they'll do affordable housing and take Section 8 vouchers because the list out here, I believe, is still crazy. It's still like it's overloaded. They, they got to get people through so they need landlords. So, yeah, yeah I think it's going to be as the new building happens, I think we'll see it a lot more. I really believe that. Let's give the listeners advice who are looking to, you know, maybe get into, into lower income housing and start dealing with the government and, and having those. Because I think maybe that because, I, again, when it comes to the benefits of Section 8 housing, I want to really highlight those because certain people only invest in Section 8 housing. So I know there are certain benefits in Section 8 housing that maybe the rest of us aren't privy to. So I want to point out those benefits. So if listeners are, are looking to get into Section 8 housing, then they know exactly, you know, what the pros and cons are. So maybe talk about the pros and cons really quick and then we'll move on to the next section. I think the pros of Section 8 housing is a program that's made to stabilize communities and help. It's really a transition program, help people that, you know, and elderly people may not be a transition program. Someone that's dis disability, and that's what a lot of my residents were. But, you know, individuals that may just be going through tough times or, you know, whatever may happen, it's a good program. For me, it's developing the relationship with the housing authority. That's why I think my biggest thing was, is once you develop that relationship with them, they know who you are, they know your product, you know, they, my policy was you come out for inspection, you coming back, I'm calling you the next day to come back out, bro. We're not, this ain't no three week process. And they didn't, most inspectors didn't like that. They didn't like that. There's a lot of people I had to meet with. Hey man, you, you, how you finish that fast? Hey bro, you told me to get it done. I'm gonna get it done, bro. I'm not, I don't, I don't sit here and, and we going back and forth, man. You know what I mean? It's like, it even they, one time, they, they was like, the roof fixed. I put on a whole entire roof. They was like, I'll oh, just patch it. Not, we putting on a whole roof, bro. 
we're not revisiting this in a couple of weeks. Okay. So just at the end of the day, it's just setting a standard and letting people who know who you are and they could see the quality of the work. I, like I said, no carpet in any of our properties. I don't, we don't even do ceramic tile, only do porcelain, hardwood floors. So like they see the quality, bam, we oh, okay, whoa. To me, it's what is your brand? What is your quality? And I think when you establish that within the housing authority and you establish that just within your business, everything flows better and especially your relationship with the housing authorities. So I think it's a key thing, just gaining the relationships. And yeah, there's going to be inspectors and people that rub you the wrong way, but at the end of the day, you just got to go over it and move on and just, just try to be positive. Love it. Love it. Love it. So Theo, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? What, what, what are your goals? What are your future goals? I mean, you've been in real estate for quite some time now. You've had lots of successes. You've had lots of failures to look back on. I mean, what, what's the overall goal? What do you see in your future? You got a couple things going on. I got a couple projects I'm trying to finish in Louisiana. That should be done in the next 60 days. We have a vacation rental property in St. Croix, which when it gets completed, I will definitely reach out to you and we will do a, if it's appropriate for you, we will do something for all the before the millions listeners would, you know, do a special thing, but that's going to be a vacation rental. And unfortunately, Hurricane Maria came and slapped us up, tore off our roof. You know, it was so bad to the where point FEMA, they doing, it's a case study on the house. You know what I mean? We were all 80% done. So now that set us back. And right now we're just dealing with all the loan, all the paperwork, all that stuff to get that back up. So my main goal is getting a roof on that house before hurricane season starts in three months again. And I'll be out there uh, in a couple months just seeing that. And that's really it for the real estate for this year. And I'm also going to invest in some deals in Philly. I have some people doing some stuff in Philly. I don't even know what they're doing. I just, they just close friends of mine. So I said, bro, if you need some money, I'm just going to give it to you. I think it's fixing flips. So I'll do a couple of those, just investing. And that's probably it. And mainly this year is contracting. We do contracting for some of the biggest landlords in the nation. So that's, that's what we do. And looking to go into the public uh, government, state, federal stuff. So that's really what my main goal is. And I also have my book, How to Stack Your Money. I'm going to do a big push on that this summer. That's basically a book I wrote. When I went to the Robert Kiyosaki thing in 2007, Everybody has a different thing that they want to do in real estate, you know, mm-hmm. but I knew I wanted rental property. So the no money down, that didn't apply. And plus, if, if you ask me, if I don't have any money, I probably should focus on getting money and not let me buy a house and go into another bit. Let me just focus on the problem I have here. I don't have money. So let me just get money. So that's what I did. I created a philosophy in my mind and I just published it in book form like a year ago, but I had this in my sense. That's this book is really what helped me to get my money right to get into real estate. And then I want to push that out because I want to help more people get into real estate. So I, I want out and I want to help more people be financially manage their money and know about their money more. So that those are the things I'm really pushing this year. Tough, you know, some big real estate things coming, but I'm just taking a little break. I had a big partnership, had to dissolve it due to a lot of whatever. I'm the type to step on the gas all the time. And there was a lot of breaking and speed bumping with my partner. And it just, you don't see eye to eye at times. So I had to dissolve a lot. And naturally some people go out and buy a whole bunch more, but I'm just going to be reserved. And I'm, you know, I'm just masterminding kind of like, okay, what are my moves? So that's really where I'm at. And that's really what's coming up for me in the future. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? 
for me. You can't pick your own. No, 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 no. It would have to be for me. It had to be 80-20 by Richard Koch. 80-20 principle. What's that about? It's just, man, it's 80% of your results in life are derived from 20% of your headaches. Well, really, forget that. This is how I looked at it. Really going in, in my business, 80% of my headaches is caused by 20% of my tenants. How do I deal with that 20%? That's why all I thought about all the time when I was managing. Who is the 20%? I got to, I got to, but 80% of my maintenance calls coming for 20% of my tenants. Yep. But what is the problem in that 20 that we got to correct? Because I guarantee you 10% of those maintenance calls ain't even for real. So it's just that I just kept applying that to every little section. Great book. I have not read the book, but I am very, very familiar with the actual rule itself, the 80-20 rule. And I think it's fascinating. It's a very, very fascinating rule. So definitely, guys, uh, look into that book because I know the rule and I I think there's some merit behind it. So great recommendation. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I would have to say for me, man, I would just have to say Google Docs or American Express, either or. American Express? (laughs) Yeah, I am a avid American Express user. So yeah, I'll just, yeah, anything. They save the day for me all the time and they they really, they're actually one of my biggest partners in business. I just didn't realize that till about a year ago. So fast shout out to them. But yeah, <laughs> Google Docs because everybody can see it and it makes your business efficient. And Dropbox, just, to, you know, it's, for me, I'm not very too technical as long as it's just something that makes everything easier. So I would say those are the top three for me. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? For me, honestly, is I could talk to my mama a lot. I don't really know what else to say. I love that. I talk to my mama, <laughs> talk to my granny anytime I want. You know, that in itself is, a, you know, that's a priceless thing for me. And I spend a lot of time with my family. So that's really, that's it for me. That's the most important thing. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Going out, driving a nice car, having all the nice clothes, I was a big sacrifices, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I still don't drive a nice car. So, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I was saying to my sister the other day, I might have to buy a new car. It took that sacrifice too long. So, yeah, those are really. Um, How does it make you feel when everybody else is, is doing all of that and you're invested? How do you combat those, you know, maybe those feelings of, man, like everybody else is doing this, but I'm doing this. Man, and you know what? I just because you know when I was twenty one, I was I was living out in my truck, driving an eighteen wheeler to stack up my money to buy my first rental property. So that was like extreme. That was probably the most extreme. You know, I got rid of my apartment and everything, just straight, straight out the truck. Yeah, 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 straight. So that I mean, looking back on that, yeah, it it didn't seem that crazy to me now. But now when I look back, yeah, it was a little extreme. But when I look at the results I got. Yet looking back on things, I would say it was well worth it, you know, looking back now, you know, and I think there's things I'm doing now that I don't get, you know what I mean? Like even me just putting out the books and stuff, I think I don't understand some of the magnitude. I'm in Toastmasters. I've been there for a year. I hate to say this to answer this question. I'm the type of person and it's the very, it's a bad and a good thing. I don't look back a lot. So at times I don't really analyze the way I should. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't really take the back, like, oh my God, I made that. I'm just like, that just had to be done, bro. It's like, nah, it wasn't, you know, was it a sacrifice? When Harriet Tubman was going back and forth to the North and the South, was that a sacrifice or that just something that had to be done? I don't know. The way I look at it, she was like, well, this just had to be done. This ain't no, you know what I mean? So for me, that's just, I look at it, but yeah, there's a lot, been a lot of sacrifices made. And I would just say, 
most, the biggest one in retrospect for most people is just the going out, the partying, socializing, and the entertainment. I think that's just, you gotta, if you can cut that, you'd be halfway there. I love that. I love that. Amazing, amazing advice. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? You know what, man? Honestly, my uncle, man, he passed two years ago and I really, I didn't, you know, in our society, we're conditioned to be contained. And I always thought like, bro, this dude is way too much. But then when you really like think about it, like, bro, it's really what's not, it wasn't. It's not, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't. You know what I mean? As, that's is just what society told us. So my uncle, man, but you know, all my family, you know what I mean? Like everybody, my great grandfather had the biggest house on the block in South Jamaica, Queens. You know, just little stuff. My cousin just built a house in upstate New York. Just seeing all these little, these little things. But my biggest one, I would just think with the tenaciousness and the, because you have to have some type of relentlessness about you to go out and just hop into real estate and, and just get out there and grind it out. I, I just feel that way. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not, may not be that cut and dry, but there has to be some go-getter about you. And I think most of that comes from my uncle. And, and a lot from my mama too, man. They all, you know, my whole family really from the projects, man. So, you know, they just, they just trying to get out and give a better opportunity, you know what I mean? And they just helped me to keep seeing the other opportunities that was out there. So, fast shout out to my Uncle Wayne, that's for sure. Huh. That's beautiful, I love it, man. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Man, that's a great question. I think we, like, like I was just saying, we, we the society, just now even more the distractions, asking people for permission, asking people for their opinion, especially people who have never done nothing even remotely close to what you ever even thought about or done, or they did it and never wasn't even successful at it. They had one rental property and they had four evictions, but you asking them for their advice. I just find, I just find like, dude, just like, you said it the best, man. You just got to go, bro. It's like, you can come up with a million reasons why not to, man, but you just got to do it and you got to block people out. I'm getting ready to do some stuff this summer. I'm like, man, I don't know about this, but it's just like, bro, you, you just got to do it, bro. You got to wake up and early, whatever you need to do, walk in the park, go to church, whatever you need to do, you need to get that in you and get the other stuff out of you. You know what I mean? Because you don't need other people's advice and validations and all this other stuff here, man. Forget them, dog. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you got to let it go. You got to let it go and just stop letting people stop you. You're going to mess up. Okay. You're going to mess up, period. So just you just, just mess the shit up and just, just keep it moving. Man, just you, you're going to mess up. It's part of the process. If you don't mess up, then I don't even know what you're doing. So just go, man. Just go, man. And just learn, man. You're going to lose some, but you just got to know. You got just keep it in your hindsight. Pray, meditate, whatever you got to do. Just know I'm going to win more than I lose. That's it. And that's that's it, man. There you go, Mr. Thelonious C. Jones himself. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your Before the Million story with us, teaching us about Section 8 housing. Man, that's a subject that we haven't been able to cover on the show, so you really, really shed some light in that area, so we appreciate that. Theo, if yes, the listeners kind of want to reach out to you, get to know you a little bit more, maybe ask you some questions or check out some of your products, where can they find some of that information? First of all, for all the Before the Millions listeners, I did something a little special. If you go to ThelonianCJones.com, T-H-E-L-O-N-I-O-U-S-C as in CharlieJones.com slash B-T-M, Before the Millions, I got a free ebook for y'all, How I Evaluate Rental Properties. And it's not, I don't have no mailing list, so it's not like we, I'm going to try to extract. This is just 
giving to give okay so that that you can go go get that that's a free book it's like 30 pages and just how i evaluate rental properties what i look for you know it's not really like oh my god so in debt it's just things to think about questions how to analyze it so that's all free i'll go get that and if you want to know more about me i'm just theloniancjones.com theloniancjones on most social media info at theloniancjones.com if you want to email me udigroupllc.com for my business and you know i'm here we here we ready to serve and uh you know yeah i love it every single one of those links will be in the show notes go pick up that book that sounds amazing and i'll have that link in the show notes so you guys can visit the show notes of this episode Thelonious again i want to thank you uh, this has been an amazing episode and I, and I know our listeners have gained a lot of value so until next time Thelonious, we will talk to you soon thank you many blessings appreciate it Thank you.